Would you like to read the gem? There are several texts there under the gem together. Audibly. In my name shall they cast out devils. For all the gods of nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The question in the ad is, can an illiterate woman cast out devils? We might broaden the title a little bit. Can an illiterate woman win souls to the Lord? It's a good question to ask because there are thousands of professed Christians who are saying, what can I do in winning souls? See how much I like the needed talent, right? Now, if we find that an illiterate woman can win scores of people to the Lord, then any of us can if we will learn the, the special secret she had, right? And wouldn't you like to win people to the Lord? Wouldn't you like to know that you're used in the Lord's hand so that somebody who would otherwise be on the outside of the city of God at the last great day saying, the harvest is past, the summer's ended, and I'm not saved, to know they're inside because of your testimony? How many would like to see that? Really, it's tremendous. It is the supreme luxury of the Christian life. I want to share with you three great facts this afternoon. Number one, can a, a humble individual with all the circumstances against him or her, can that individual still win souls? That's one. Number two, to what extent will God protect such an individual? And number three, to what extent will that individual be successful, though humble? Number one, can God use a very, very humble person to win many souls to him. This story clusters around the woman whose name is Mondahoy. I met her in 1970 at our world conference over in, in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Met her again at a camp meeting. Got this story straight from Pastor Smith, who was introducing her. She was on network programs, as well as many of our camp meetings. Of course, she was greatly amazed when she saw the beauty of certain parts of America. She turned to Pastor Smith and she said, Is this heaven? <laughs> Evidently, she hadn't gotten into Los Angeles. <laughs> or she might have used another word at the close. Mondahoy was a little girl and at the age of about six. She was impressed with her grandmother who was a witch doctor. Her grandmother used uh, uh, hogs' teeth, boars' tusks, eagles' claws, human skulls, 
big knife, the shoulder blade of a girl from another tribe whom they'd killed so she could rattle the shoulder blade. And she was an imposing sight. She was a witch doctor. And Mondahoy was one of six children. All the others had died. Seven. She was the one left. She admired her grandmother, witch doctor, and decided that she would like to be a witch doctor at that tender age. So she decided that she would learn how. They had no schools except witch doctor schools. They're all illiterate. So she attended the school conducted by her grandmother and the chieftain of the tribe also assisted. But she learned that in order to be a witch doctor, she would have to go through a grueling experience of learning. She would have to learn many prayers, some of them very long. And one series of prayers took three days. And she had to learn those prayers word for word. This eliminated nearly all of her friends because they couldn't couldn't carry through to learn the art. But she determined she would be a witch doctor, and so she was. Our story today begins at her age of 40. Uh, I mean, she had, I'm guessing, about 40. She had 10 children. She must have been over 40 because she had some grandchildren. 10 children, one was nursing. And while she was carrying on her activities, a friend came to see her one day and he said, I was down at the market. And he said, a man from a nearby village was at the market. And he said that, uh, that he had met some teacher over there in that village who said that we don't have to worship rocks and stones and trees and plants, and all of these dead gods. He said that there's a living God. And, Mon and Mondahoy was thrilled, because way, way back in their tradition, they had once, somewhere back there, told about a God. They had a special name for him, who was a, a living God. But it had become so hazy that they paid no attention to him anymore, they don't know, didn't know his whereabouts. But they worshiped a God who was Satan, S-A-T-I-N, Satan. And this is why when these people would get drunk on rice whiskey under the satanic power of the evil one, you see, they would go out and they would fight with other tribes and they'd revel in the fact they could bring back these skulls. But after they'd brought them back, they were afraid of them because all of these skulls were supposed to have inside the spirit of the one that they'd killed. So they had to be pretty well armed around these skulls. But then she heard of this living God and something happened to her thinking. A living God? Oh, could that be 
the God that we'd heard some little thing about way back yonder? She said, I want to go over. So when she went over to the announced meeting, she heard a Seventh-day Adventist, layman, missionary, reading from the book about the God that's alive. He said, you don't have to worship any of these things at all. There's a living God. And Mondehoy said, ah, that must be the God that we heard about way back yonder. And so she came back every Sabbath day to hear this man present the story of the living God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And she came back and she said to her husband, Honey, I have found that, that I don't have to go through all of these incantations anymore and these great long prayers. I can pray short prayers to the living God. And he said, You are stupid. And since she was largely the breadwinner, he said, how in the world are we going to live if you give up this witchcraft? And he became very, very angry. But she kept on going. One day he said to her, now listen. He said, you leave that thing alone or I'm going to kill you. By this time she'd learned that the living God answers prayer. So that morning about 6 o'clock, out in the front room, he had his knife. He said, I'm going to cut you up in small pieces. And she in her heart was praying to the living God. And the Lord impressed him that the blade wasn't quite sharp enough. He said, I'm going in the other room and sharpen this blade so sharp, and I'll come back and cut you in pieces. And when he slipped in the other room, she slipped out. She went out in the jungles and was gone until 6 o'clock at night. She bowed in prayer 10 times during those hours, pleading with the living God to protect her. And there's a promise, Isaiah, 40, uh, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against thee will prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me. <laughs> Isaiah 54, 17. How many times I've claimed it. She came back oh, she, as she was praying, Lord, that you'll change my husband's heart. Lord, I believe you, the living God, can change his heart. When she came back at 6 o'clock, he was a different man. He said, you know, you must cook up a lot of vegetables. So when the missionaries come, they'll have plenty to eat. That's God. Does God protect his children? You are immortal till your work is done, if you walk with the Lord. All the demons in hell cannot snuff out your life or mine as long as our work is not finished, if we walk humbly with God. How many believe that? Let's see your hands. Amen. But she said, then another man felt that it was his duty to kill her. So he came to attack her, and she began to run. As she fled with this big knife, he, 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 was, he was overtaking her. And as she came to a ditch, the Lord impressed her, drop in the ditch and lie motionless. She dropped in the ditch and lay motionless, and this man in the 
in the, the fever of his determination to kill her, jumped right over the ditch and went on and on and on. And she got up and went home and was saved again. At another time, the chieftain of the tribe decided that he was going to kill her. He came over all at 8 o'clock in the morning at her home with his knife to kill her. She had gone at 6. So he waited for her until 4 o'clock. The Lord impressed her not to come back until 6. He was gone. And thus her life was saved again. Another time, three men ganged up determining to kill her, but all in vain. The whole, the whole village was amazed. No matter what they did, they couldn't kill this child of God. Uh, doesn't that bear testimony as to the days that are ahead for us? Can't we depend on God? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now Mondahoy had learned how to pray. She learned you don't have to pray great long Magellan prayers. Aren't you glad you and I don't have to pray Magellan prayers in public? Anybody here who doesn't know what a Magellan prayer is? Raise your hand, I'll tell you what it is. All right. A Magellan prayer is when a man prays in public, round and round and around the world, while others hope he'll put into port somewhere. She learned you don't have to pray word-for-word word prayers three days or three hours or even three minutes in public. Aren't you glad? And she decided that she'd go out and start working for others. She'd go out and pray for the sick. Nobody would pay any attention to her except sick people. And so she would go up and she'd say, if you'd like, I'll pray for you. But they said, you don't have the, you don't have the, the hog's teeth. You don't have the bird's claws, the eagle's claws. You don't have the skull. You don't have that, that shoulder blade of the girl that was slain from the other tribe. What can you do? You've, you've always taught us that this is the only way we can get through and get answers. She said, I've learned we don't have to do that. I pray to a living God. <clears throat> and the sick were healed one after another. And little by little, the village calmed down. One day she went out to a nearby village, and there she found three people, I believe it was, who were sick of a loathsome disease. Their friends had fled for fear they would contact, contract the disease. And she said, I will pray for you. And one lady said, pray for us? How come you'll stay when everybody else has left us? Oh, I know a living God. She said, I'll be happy to pray for you. I don't have to use any of those things I used before. <clears throat> I don't have to pray a long prayer. And every one of them was healed. How about that? Have we somehow gotten the impression that it has to be people of the cloth quote, unquote, to work for God, desire of ages, 250. He who loves Christ the most will do the most good. Isn't that good? Don't you thank the Lord? Don't worry about some great 
outstanding position before people, wherever we are, he who loves Christ the most. Christ will see to it, whether it's in a quiet home, training those children as Jochebed did, amen? Or as Mary did, the child Christ, Christ child, wherever. As she gave her witness, she found different people coming to her and seeking her counsel. Little by little, the whole village turned in her direction. She talked with one witch doctor after another and shared with these witch doctors what Jesus had done for her. And by the time she was through, 20 witch doctors had given themselves their hearts, their souls, their all to Jesus Christ. Talk about casting out devils. Do you know? Do you know the best way to cast out devils? It's not by feeling we've got to go around and say, Satan, get you hence. That's not the best way, always. The best way is to live so close to Jesus Christ that his light in us will show these people that there's a better life to live and they'll reach out and wish to be released. Why should a person wish to be released from the power of the devil unless he sees something better than what he has? And friends, we have something better when we have Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen. We do let the world know we found a satisfaction in him. We're not claiming that problems will not exist. Problems will be all about us. Scores of problems. My wife and I find that we run into problems every day, sometimes several problems a day. But God is bigger than several problems a day. And we're left the world know. When we come to Christ, we aren't saying goodbye to problems. We're saying, Lord, we have a God who is a master of problems. He is in charge of the world. And the world needs to know it. Then men who are letting the devil possess their lives in any one of a thousand ways, perhaps. They say, I would like this kind of a life. Here's a person with all these problems, and he isn't going crazy over it. He is re relying on the living God. Before she was through, every person in that village became a Christian. Mondahoy, the Seventh-day Adventist, witch doctor, giving her heart to Jesus Christ. Friends, will God use humble people if we'll let him? Will God protect us? Will he protect us? Will there be a harvest of souls? Yes. Our favorite author makes this statement, and I have felt for years that we ought to have conference committee meetings covering the area of these, of these statements. It's found in that beautiful book. We have, we have nine of them. <clears throat> They're little red books called Testimonies. And this is the ninth one of those little books, page 189. And there's a marvelous statement there. It goes like this. Now remember, before I quote it, remember, it has nothing to do with... Uh, how much literature we pass out, though it's good, has nothing to do with how many evangelistic companies we have, though that's good. It has nothing to do 
with how many books call porters sell, though that's good. It has nothing to do with how many uh, no-smoking programs we have, though they're good. It has nothing to do with welfare work, though it's good. It has nothing to do directly. It isn't any of these programs as such. It is a change of attitude. Here it is. I'm quoting. If we would humble ourselves before God, that's the first, and be kind, two, and courteous, three, and tender-hearted, four, and pitiful, there would be 100 conversions to the truth where there's no one. A change of attitude. After the morning service, I walked up to two or three ladies here, and as I often do to people, and I say, I said, good morning to you. And they smiled back and one said, good morning to you. I said, you know, I went into a business place some time ago, and as I stood before the counter, strange, I'd never been there before, and I said to the person there, I said, good morning to you. She said, oh, it's good to see a happy person. Oh. <clears throat> and I said, do you know, if we, Seventh-day Adventists, <clears throat> in addition to living a Christian life, did no more than that, <clears throat> we'd have to build several more churches in Bakersfield. Think of it. Who in the world are these people? Everywhere are they going, they're happy. Good morning to you. Now, not all respond that way when I say it. <clears throat> I went and said that some months ago to Mr. Crabb. <clears throat> and he remained Mr. Crabb, <laughs> you know. Mr. Crabb said, why should a coon bother this crab? <clears throat> Maybe he thought I was going to butter him up to eat him. I don't know. <clears throat> but the majority of people, if we don't overdo it, just a little joy. It's tremendous. I've tried it again and again and again. You know, it's a lot of fun. <clears throat> Isn't it amazing how we've gained the impression somehow that, that to do right, it must, uh, it must not be pleasant. You're not supposed to be happy. Because if you're happy, you certainly couldn't be a Christian. <laughs> I remember when I was a boy, that thing was pervasive. People really believed it. I remember my father, who was a wonderful Christian, he said, Glenn, uh, I don't take much stock in a minister who smiles on the pulpit. He said, I, and you know, <clears throat> the more nearly the, the preacher's face in those days, the more nearly it looked like a, a corpse, the more you're sure it was that he really had the real thing. <clears throat> What's the real thing that a corpse has? Death. And when we suggest to our people that, that we shake hands with people as they come into our meetings, I get uh, a little note back every once in a while. Elder Kuhn, I can't understand why you've suggested this because we just had a sermon on reverence. You see? Which to them meant if you're reverent, you're not supposed to be sociable. How could a person who loves God be sociable, you see? 
you're supposed to come into church and sit at 90 degrees. 89 isn't enough. <clears throat> you lack one degree of being a Christian, you see. And you're supposed to look at just as solemn as you can. Because if you can look solemn enough, somehow you might work into Christianity. You see. God wants his people to be kind and sweet and wholesome and winsome, right? How about that? When you go into a five and dime store, <clears throat> when you walk into a five and dime store and the girl at the, the clerk just isn't nice that morning. Now that clerk is supposed to be extremely nice to us, right? She is supposed, she's hard to be nice, isn't she? You know, they advertise in different banks. We, 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 you count. This is a big part of sales work. So every clerk in every place, one of the big things she's supposed to do is be very thoughtful and very kind, you know. And if you grumble, she's supposed to say, oh, I'm so sorry, because she's never to lose her patience no matter what happens. She's supposed to smile from the time she enters till she leaves until she almost has facial paralysis, you know. But if one should happen to be tired, maybe they'd had sickness the night before, and that day they're just exhausted, and they, they fumble things a little, and they talk back just a little. Now what will a Seventh-day Adventist do when that clerk talks back, and that clerk, clerk is not supposed to talk back? What will we do? We'll say, I'm telling you, I'm going to get my Seventh-day dander up. I want you to know that I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And you're the clerk. And you're supposed to respect me. And I'm going to be respected. And six weeks later, we bring this clerk announcement to an evangelistic series. And the clerk said, my, I don't seem to quite have time. You know what it was? It's because we didn't have time for the clerk six weeks before. And the clerk is very gracious. Oh, she would so love to come to the meeting, she says. <laughs> would she? Would she? She thanks the Lord that she doesn't have to be with any other people like that, that person. And I thank the Lord too, don't you? Yes, she doesn't have to be. The best place in this world for you and me to cast out devils is in our business relations. That's the best place. There's nothing like it. Like the young man that went in there to get a car. <clears throat> he took two hours of the manager of the automobile agency. He took two hours jewing him down, pardon me, adventisting him down. And the man went down as far as he could. And then the young fellow <laughs> shrugged his shoulders and said, I can get that car at Fleet. The young fellow knew it all the time. He knew all the while that it would be a miracle if the other man could equal it. He took two hours of his time. There is a place where the young man could have been a witness to Jesus. Amen. The man came to one, to one of our sanitariums, 
He was ill, <clears throat> in bed. <clears throat> Somebody came to the manager, the administrator. He said, you have a businessman here, quite an outstanding businessman of the city. His wife, you know, is a member of the flock. Uh, why don't you go up and invite him to be a member? His wife's been a member low these decades. So the administrator went up and suggested, you know, you have come to church so many times with your wife, and she's been a member so many years. We'd just like to invite you to be a member of our church. And the administrator said, what? He said, I don't want to even see an Adventist in my establishment. Now, you see, every Adventist in that city was good and wholesome, except one. But the one man gave that man the impression that all were that way. I thank God very few are that way, don't you? It's the only case I ever heard of our people. But you see what one person can do? One person can give these business people the impression that, that we're not gladvenists, that we're sadvenists and madvenists. Let's never let them do it. What do you say? When you go through a cafeteria line at camp meeting, <laughs> and those little, those little academy girls are serving and they get mixed up a little bit. <laughs> and we know that they should wait on us because we're somebody special. And they bungle it a little. Now, they're supposed to be nice no matter what. And we scold them a little. We ought to say, God, forgive me. Probably there's not a member of our church in a thousand that would scold one of those. But when one scolds them, that girl is liable to think they're all the same way because she goes into shock. So my wife and I have made it a practice, and you may want to. When you go through a cafeteria line, remember, that's a pretty rough deal for the person on the other side of the counter, right? How about giving them a little word of praise? We make it a practice to do it. We go through and we say, thank you, thank you. My, we appreciate this so much. And some of them look up. Let's do it. It doesn't cost anything. It's the highest kind of missionary work. That's the way to cast out devils, right? Then you go to camp meeting, you order up a nice cot, you know, at a good table, and the ministers work their heads off, and, and one of these cots has a little, a little repair job that the minister overlooks, and when you sit on the edge of it, ooh, down it goes. <laughs> Remember the text of Scripture. Here is the patience of the saints. And instead of going back and saying to that minister, what in the world did you do? Don't you realize that I'm important? How about going and say, <laughs> do you have some pliers? Maybe I can fix that bed. And then the minister says, oh, let me do it. You say, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, so many of our people are so kind and gracious at camp meetings that in one of our camp meetings where I attended, they had a great big sign about four feet by eight right there at the, uh, at the register's desk. What do they call that? Locating committee. Great big sign up there. And in great big letters were these words, 
Here is the patience of the saints. Aren't you glad to be that kind of a saint? Isn't that? This is the highest form of missionary work because people are watching to see what Seventh-day Adventists are like. Are Seventh-day Adventists gracious to a person at the point where you don't have to be gracious? There is the point. When we have that person on the spot and the person doesn't do all that he should do, there's a time to either take it out on him or a time to advertise our kind of Christianity, to be gracious, to be kind. It doesn't mean that we're never to tell a man we'll give less than he asks. I don't think that God expects Christians to go around and, and give everybody the price he asks. I don't believe that at all. But I do believe on the other side, on the other hand, that we ought to think in terms of the other person's need. And I believe that as we speak, we ought to let him know that we're thoughtful of him at least. We can at least say, probably you have a family to support too, and I can't go above this price. And I don't want to take your time. That's perfectly all right. But to take that man's time and to Adventist him down again and again and, and, and josh him and, uh, and, uh, and be clever and then invite him to our meetings. He just doesn't have time. Five things. If we would like, be like Mondahoy, if we would humble ourselves, be kind, courteous, tender-hearted, and pitiful, we would win a hundred. It must mean that the world is dying for a little bit of love. What do you say? That's what it must be. It must be that soul winning is 95% spiritual courtship and 5% more or less instruction. Try it out, beloved. Those teams that went out this week and visited absent, absent members, and they said something like this. You know, we're so sorry. We, we church members have made a lot of mistakes. Will you forgive us? Brother, that's humbling ourselves, right? And it doesn't hurt a bit. We've made a lot of mistakes. We're not telling them they're right, because none of us is right. We've made a lot of mistakes. Will you forgive us? And the very person who had come to church once and somebody attacked her because she'd married out of the quote truth unquote was able now to come back because we'd apologized for that sanctimonious person that thought they needed to give the person a little lecture humble ourselves be a good thing to go home and tell our wives we're sorry for our mistakes too now they may go into shock you know <clears throat> they may go into shock Brethren, if you apologize to your wife, don't turn to her and say, now it's your turn to apologize. <laughs> you see, <clears throat> make it an apology. <laughs> don't make it a duet. Make it a solo. If she wants to join in the harmony, that's up to her. <laughs> you see. Wives, when you go home, you can say to your husband, will you forgive me? Last night after our meeting, a lady walked up to me. She said, you... <clears throat> How many were here last night when I preached that sermon? She said, you must have been in my home this week. You remember what we talked about last night? We talked about Beth and how Beth had treated her wicked husband. And this lady said, you must have been in my home this week. I said, are you Beth? <laughs> well, she said, and she went on and told us 
She said, this was for me tonight. She came to church this morning and told a couple of our teammates, she said, do you know, my drunken husband, who had been arrested, <laughs> came home last night. And she said, I went to bed, I'd been sarcastic. And she said, I couldn't apologize. It took me half an hour lying in bed before I could apologize. Then I turned over and said, honey, will you forgive me? He came to church this morning. You know, if we would humble ourselves and be kind and courteous, tender-hearted and pitiful, the humblest soul can win souls to Jesus Christ. The humblest soul. We ought to have conference committees. We ought to have evangelistic councils on it. You know, the, the, the beautiful thing about it is this. The outlay of, of finances is what? Zero. It costs absolutely nothing except a good dose of Christian courtesy. One hundred conversions where there's no one. To me, it's a tremendous challenge. That is what Mondahoy did. When she was threatened, when she was pursued, she went back into that village and cared for the sick who had hated her, who wanted to kill her. That's Christianity. Why are you so kind to us when all we've done to you? Oh, I've learned about the living God, and the living God placed in her a living Christianity. How would you like this week to join me in humbling ourselves before somebody that's not coming to church? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? We also, my teammate here, who gave a testimony earlier, he and I went to visit a couple who had been absenting themselves, and we apologized, and the man almost went into shock. Then he warmed up beautifully. How about it, friends? Shall we pray? Dear Lord in heaven, I thank you so much for the religion of Jesus. How different from the religion of the world. Oh, you have said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Lord, we want that mind to fill our being through and through. And while our heads are bowed in prayer, how many, by God's grace, want to yield yourselves with me anew to kindness and courtesy and tenderheartedness, pitifulness, humility? Would you lift your hands? Thank you, Lord, for doing for us what we're asking. And put down your hands if you want to. Is there one this evening who came without the assurance that your own sins are forgiven? And you look up to the Lord and say, Jesus, you come into my heart. I can't do it, but you can, and I let you in thy lovely name. Lift your hand if you would say that. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.